Welcome to the Deeply Rooted Parent Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Lamborn, an outdoor educator known for inspiring parents to find connections once again with their children. Join me as I have stimulating conversations with experts in their fields, all with a dash of nature connection. Are you ready to feel revitalized, recommitted, and to regain a sense of love for your children? If so, then grab a seat around the campfire and let's explore together. For our audience, could you just kind of explain who you are and and what led you to to write this book that you wrote? Yeah, so um, my name is Charlotte Markey. I am a professor of psychology at Rutgers University in New Jersey in the U.S., and I have been studying as a research scientist body image and eating behaviors for almost 25 years now. And I think the longer I've been studying these issues, the more I've come to appreciate that there's a real disconnect between how we think about them and what we know about these issues as research scientists and the dialogue that's often held in public spaces. Um, So as an example, in you know, public spaces like advertising, we see mm-hmm. a lot of information about like the latest diet you should try. Um, and then if you talk to a, someone who does research on this topic, almost inevitably we're like, yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> There's no, <laughs> no scientific basis for that. Um, so I think, you know, just becoming more and more aware of that disconnect, which is something that my my students have facilitated as well. And I teach some of this content um, has made me really want to get the science to the public. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of what my, my book writing ventures have been about is just trying to make, I think, what we know as scientists really accessible and easy um, to read and and, you know, bringing it to girls in particular right now with the body image book for girls, I think is important because in the pre-adolescent and adolescent years, this is just a really critical time for body image development. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> and um, I just think a lot of harm could be avoided if we get kind of the right messages to girls before mm-hmm. all of the popular messages like sink in and cause damage. Yeah, I think like as I was uh, been re- looking through and and reading your book, it's it's it seems very preventative in terms of um, getting those crucial messages to to girls in in this case in the case of this book. Um, but yet before the the social media and the peer pressures um, get to them, because uh, one of my my favorite parts of the book um, is towards the end in the make your body work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, chapter when you talk about functionality of the body because we often we're like we're so in a culture where it's like your appearance and not so much the method that your body can like do and like the the beauty and brilliance of a functional moving body um which uh through through teaching um the kids that i teach it's very much like well boys do the sports and the girls can of look pretty um so i love the aspect of like well no like it's just wonderful to have a functional um and powerful body moving in and that's kind of like the the area that we need to zoom in 
too, because that's going to build the confidence and the self-reliance and self-esteem in the, the girls growing up. Yeah, I think it's just a really different mindset than I grew up with a generation ago. And I have my own teenage daughter, so I spent a lot of time ever since I think I knew I was having a daughter, <laughs> thinking about like how am I going to make this better for her? Yeah. Um, and and it's it's hard because so much of this is really embedded in our culture. Um, and I, even as someone who studies these issues and talks about them all the time, um, I really have to be consciously aware of what kind of messages I think I'm, I'm, I'm promoting in my own house even. So just being really careful to, to talk about, you know, sports as positive and feeling good about what your body can do, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that that'll just make you feel better. Um, it won't make you lose weight. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, is is I think really really important, and I do think a lot of girls in this generation have gotten that message. I do think that that's a sort of shift that we've seen to a large extent. But we know a lot of girls still drop out of sports in high school. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Um, how early do these like self limiting beliefs start in? in children, but especially girls. Like it seems like social media is getting younger and younger. What does the research say upon the that that topic? Yeah, I mean the first study I ever published, we actually looked at five-year-old girls to establish if they had any weight concerns or dissatisfaction with their bodies. And we expected that they wouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. We thought this was going to be like baseline data we are collecting, like, like what happens after this? Yeah. But we already found some at five. Wow. Um, and it was associated with, with mostly mom's own concerns as well. So mm-hmm. even at five, girls are hearing messages and they probably don't understand them, but they can kind of mimic them or repeat them, you know? So if a mom is saying, oh, I can't eat that, like kids pick that up and yes. then yeah, they start so. thinking like, I can't eat that. Like they don't, maybe don't get it yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they already know that there's something wrong with whatever food it is. And so um, it can start really, really young. And then it just becomes kind of, it's just like the air we breathe. It's just all over. Mm -hmm. And we almost don't know then how to get out of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So going off of that topic, then um, we can't hint it to, to the, like the idea of how much we as parents and educators can role model um, like healthy eating habits and, um, I was like, when I was looking at the table of contents, the chapters that you broke it down, I was like, you hit every chapter that I could think <laughs> of that is so comprehensive. So, um, what are some, some tips as, as these, um, caretakers of these growing, growing girls that we can really give them the right start, really give them the, um, yeah, just, uh, to scaffold them as they go against social media and the pressures of the society that's going to be put on them. Yeah, I think what's really important is is to a large extent just that parents and educators are are modeling um, a healthy approach to these issues, and that means talking about functionality. It means um, talking about food not as good and bad, or even so much like healthy and unhealthy, but as something to be enjoyed, as something that fuels us and is a way of taking care of ourselves. Um, I think that just not sort of bowing down to the cultural um, messages about 
appearance being all important. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and some of that can be done kind of easily, you know? So if a kid says something about how someone looks or admiring a celebrity, um, you know, sometimes what I will say is like, well, that's their job is to look that way. Yeah. Like that's kind of all they do. And to, you know, I try to not be judgmental about that, but you know, many of us will have jobs that are, I think, just more complex or intellectually stimulating, right? So it's not about just going to the gym or looking a certain way. It's about educating other people or trying to help other people or, mm-hmm. you know, that it's, it's um, I think it's important for young people to start to understand that the celebrities they see, that's kind of the extent of their existence, <laughs> It's just sort of how they look Um, Mm -hmm. and that we want more for our kids. Um, We want them to be, you know, engaged and and meaningful, I think, behaviors that extend beyond just their appearance. Yeah, I think you you really hit it on the head in terms of um, like the celebrity influence because you have like these Instagram influencers that have these like professional photographers and like makeup crews that make their lives like idealized and that's just not not reality for pretty much everyone um so yeah it's it's so it's so um so tricky could you touch on um the pressures of social media for for a little bit um yeah yeah just with um yeah, how to really, I guess, normalize that social media is not normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way, good way to put it. And I actually have a little um, like acronym to, to use that the parents can use or teach kids to sort of think through this. And so it's face. So remember F first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important for all of us but especially young people to do what we refer to as filtering. And I don't mean like use your filter to make you look better. It's actually (laughs) (laughs) body image researchers call this protective filtering. And that means to be really thoughtful about like what's in your newsfeed. What are you attending to on social media and filter out the stuff that makes you feel bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's protective. That's why we call it protective filtering that, I think a lot of people don't realize that if they have certain friends or they have certain celebrities or whatever, viewing that, you know, multiple times a day can really be distressing. And so we want young people to sort of come to realize like, "Mm, no, I don't like the way that makes me feel. I don't have to do that. So protect yourself from some of that. Um, And, you know, like back when I was young, this meant, like there were certain magazines or catalogs that would yeah. come to my apartment and I would throw them away. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's all online. So it's a different kind of, of filtering and we need to be, I think, a little bit more on the ball because it's coming at us much faster. Yeah. And now the A in face is for avoiding. And I know it's, I think it's asking too much of almost anyone to say, just avoid all of social media. That's like unrealistic now. A little bit tricky. Yeah. 
I mean, and kids connect on social media and, and we connect on social media. So I don't think that we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we do want to make sure we know how to take breaks, um, mm-hmm. whether that means mealtime or keeping your phone out of your room when you go to sleep or um, even just once a week, sometimes saying like, I'm just not going to do it. Um, or having some family rules about avoiding or creating boundaries when it comes to social media. Um, I think that young people especially can start to feel really controlled by it. And we want to make sure they remember that they are the ones in control, that they are curating what they see and they can also avoid it. And um, in a strange way, I think that becomes empowering when they appreciate that, that they can protect themselves and they can do some avoiding. And then for C, it's, it's careful of comparisons that really how social media does most of its damage is when we compare ourselves to unrealistic lives. And if we all just looked at other people on social media and felt like, oh, that's so nice. Like they got a yacht. Great. <laughs> um, good for them. Good for them, right? Or like, oh, look at that plastic surgery. Fab. You know, <laughs> then, <laughs> um, if, if we all took it that way, it would be much less insidious, right? But what mm-hmm. we do is we look and we're like, God, well, why don't I have a yacht? I really do need some cosmetic surgery. <laughs> you know, it brings us to- I'd love this, to be on the water. <laughs> right. I mean, it brings us to this place of sort of comparing our lives that, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And so we really need to be careful of that. And there is some research to show that if we can be more of an observer and not compare- or focus on the emotions that are displayed and the messages we see and less on comparing ourselves, um, that it's just, it doesn't bother us as much. And so this is kind mm-hmm. of a skill we'd have to practice, right. To, to look without comparing. Um, and then, you know, the, the E in face is just to really evaluate what we're seeing. And this kind of ties into comparing because once we realize what we're seeing is not real, then we, I think, are have an easier time not making those comparisons. And so if you can appreciate that it, it's a professional photographer, like you said, there's a makeup crew, there's, mm-hmm. you know, celebrities and even not celebrities have people handling this for them. Like there's, you know, this is entire industry now, people who yeah. handle social media. So what we're seeing is, not reality. We need to really be kind of critical evaluators of what we're seeing. Um, And it can be hard, but I think that because kids nowadays have done their own playing around in Snapchat or whatever, and they've used filters, they know how it works. And so in some ways, some of the like next generation is almost more savvy because they're like, oh yeah, that's the so-and-so filter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um. and and in some ways that's that's good i think that's you know serving them well that they understand how easy it is to take a picture and make it look really different so um but i think the pervasiveness of of this and the extent to which just kind of everything um we see in celebrity culture is really curated uh people sometimes don't realize yeah it's it's pretty intense and and just that kind of brings me back to um, like the idea of how we can can role model. Um, what are your thoughts on scales, like weight scales within the home? Because my stepdaughter went on ours, uh-huh. 
And she was like, yes, I'm 70 pounds. And it was so pure. It's just like, it was that she had gotten to that weight and that meant she was growing up. It wasn't, there was no evaluation upon it. Yeah. But at some point then that's going to get the evaluations on. So um, are you like pro having skills within the house as a method of seeing them grow up kind of like, um, like height boards where they can see like, oh, I was like two inches last year. Yeah. Um, less. Um, yeah. I would love to, love to get your, your this is a that. really good question. Um, and I'm big on the height boards. So I'm constantly mm-hmm. like, go stand against the wall again. I have to- <laughs> <laughs> get the realer. <laughs> Cause this is with two teenagers. Um, they, I think they both went through puberty during the pandemic. So I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm um, seeing you grow. <laughs> I, just since yesterday. Um, it's crazy. And it's so exciting and really cool. I mean, I think that's part of why I love talking about and studying and thinking about how to help adolescents is I do think just the physical development that takes place during this time period is it's amazing. It's so cool. Um, yeah. and, and I think as parents and educators, we should really try to frame it that way. Like, yeah, oh my gosh, this is like, this is amazing. Um, but you know, I do think the scale can be problematic. So I, for most of my adult life, I have not had a scale. Mm-hmm. My, when I married my second husband, he believes in weighing himself. And so we have one, but it's kind of hidden. <laughs> so the kids never get on it. And I don't even know if they know it exists. And I think that that's, you know, at some point, like you say, it stops being this like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm finally a hundred pounds. Like that's, you know, at some point then as the height, the growth spurt kind of is over and the weight is just, it's, it's not part of growing bigger or taller in the same way. I think it, Mm -hmm. I think it will start to feel different. Yeah. Um, The height's gone. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Exactly. And there's a lot of discussion, discussion these days in the body image, um, research world about if we even want doctors weighing our kids regularly and mm-hmm. talking about it because, you know, when they're really little and they're babies, it's like, you kind of have to, to make sure they're growing and there's yeah. not a developmental problem. And you know what, how much of certain medications to give them because you can know how big they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point, does it become too much? Is there too much emphasis on this is where you are on the growth and height chart and, you know, sort of talking about it, especially if kids aren't sort of somewhere in the middle, if they're at either extreme, is it just become sort of an activity that feels shameful? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that we should just be careful. I think parents should know their kids and you can ask a pediatrician to not do that. I don't know, maybe in Canada, you do less of this um, than in the U.S., but here, it seems to be a very important part of our medical very practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's become very increasingly controversial, I think. Um, but I guess moving it back to, to just the home, I think that, you know, again, a lot of it's how you frame it. So if you're framing it like that's, that's great, you know, mm-hmm. and um, that's much less problematic. And I think it also matters, you know, if your kid sees you get on the scale all the time mm-hmm. and then skip breakfast that's true yeah like you're sending a message there yeah or if you step on it like oh i shouldn't have dinner last night like "Mm." right yeah i mean that's (laughs) not the message we want to send so um and in fact since we're as adults not really growing taller anymore 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, the fun is over. <laughs> yeah. Our, our uh, growth is more sideways than up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the scale is, you know, as you age, it's by most people's standards, probably not ever good news. So what's the point? Um, yeah. I think there's a good argument to be made from just, you know, kind of hiding it under the bed. If you need it for some reason, the doctor wants to prescribe something and you need to check on a kid's height, just do it and be like, Oh, great. You know, like just make sure you frame it positively. But mm-hmm. I definitely think that kids don't want to see it as like a daily habit that they should yeah. be participating in because it can really affect mood and, and kids even sense of self-worth, I think. Yeah. Um, in your, in the book, I've never heard of this before, but the the no mirror movement that blew my mind, um, because either it being a mirror in the bathroom or on our phone, it's like we always have like some type of like mirroring device on us. Um, yeah, I guess like how realistic is is that? Because on one end, I totally understand the movement and and the power of that. But then I also see like my stepkids um, looking in the mirror and, and seeing the growth that they're having. So for me, it's like, how do we balance the appreciation of growing up versus, oh, that's what I'm looking like now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I guess it's the same thing as the weight, maybe in terms of how we approach us looking at ourselves. But um, yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think definitely as the grownups in the house or in any sort of setting, um, and, and we see this in, you know, the No Mirror movement has been um, sort of started in part by, by dancers because in that kind of a setting, there's just a lot of mirrors and people are supposed to be looking. Are you holding your stomach in? Whatever you. Um, so I think how we, we frame it as the grownups in the room matters that are we looking in the mirror again and being like, Oh, I'm definitely not eating today (laughs) (laughs) because that's not okay. Right. It's not okay for us. And it's definitely not what we want to model for our kids. Um, It's hard to completely avoid them. I mean, I did try to deliberately keep mirrors out of my kids' rooms, um, Mm -hmm. especially my daughter's room. I was really kind of hyper aware of that. And then at some point they asked, they were like, how can I do my hair? Like, mm-hmm. you know, if I don't have a mirror in here, like, I don't want to keep fighting over the bathroom. And so it's, instead of making a big deal about not having a mirror, I thought the path of least resistance that made sense was just to, to get one, but not make it a big deal. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, okay, sure. But again, they you, you don't want to uh, model using it like this way of evaluating yourself. Like you want to model, I think using it like to make sure that you don't have like a stain on the back of your pants before you leave the house yeah. <laughs> and, you know, kind of the basics. Um, and it's interesting because there are definitely times where I've, you know, done media or I, I teach in front of large classes sometimes. And I think I want to kind of check if I look okay before I leave. And, because I've been so nervous about modeling that for my kids, mm-hmm. I kind of forget to sometimes. Like I just don't always, <laughs> um, or I don't belabor it anyways. You know, mm-hmm. it really is like, okay, I have both the same shoe on, you know, no Like no one's drooled on me today, you know, whatever, no dog hair. Um, 
And I, I do think across many years of that, it's been really great for how I think about these things myself, even because if you just kind of don't let yourself belabor any of that mirror time, then you just kind of stop caring or you can get, it can be much easier to just look and be like, yeah, all right. Everything's covered. That needs to be good. It doesn't matter. The rest doesn't matter, you know, or yeah, that color does look good on me. All right, good. Off, off we go. Off we go. Yeah. (laughs) To the world. um, Yeah. You know, like just worry less about it. And um, yeah, everyone's um, happier. Everything, everyone's happier. That's the goal. Everyone's happier that way. Um, Yeah. Like am I in, in my own um, teaching, I'm, I'm very much like role modeling and yeah, just like role modeling and especially um, in the realm of like mental health and making sure that um, the kids feel safe and that they feel that they can talk about um, anything. And I mentioned it a little bit before, but your book is very comprehensive. It is, I believe 12 chapters. Um, I have it in front of me here, 10 chapters. And I love how it, how it reads it's like you're talking to me and not at me which um i think was probably intentional in, t- in terms of how it was written I, I quite liked it um it's very like broken up but there's a lot of information in here um and just wondering how how did you figure out what girls want to hear about um because we're as open as we are in the culture in terms of sharing our lives and social media we don't really share kind of like the the internal thoughts that we have um, that we're questioning, um, especially in a home that potentially might not welcome those thoughts or in a school environment that doesn't feel safe to welcome those thoughts. Um, so yeah, how did you, how did you find out what they want? Like, how did you find the secret? <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for asking that and for appreciating that. Um, you know, when I put in the proposal for this book, I thought it would be half the length that it ended up being. Mm-hmm. So as I worked on it, it definitely kept growing. And that was in large part due to the feedback I got from girls. So the book was kind of written in an iterative process where I would draft a chapter. Mm-hmm. And then I had a group of undergraduates who are working with me. So they're a little bit older than the target readership but they would read it and give me feedback. They were all young women. And then I would bring it to girls who were the target readership, their feedback, and then I'd revise. So there was this kind of, like I said, iterative process. And then, you know, sometimes I'd say to one of the different age groups, like, well, what do you think? Like, now that we've talked about this, I feel like we really need to talk about just mental health in general. Um, and they're like, yeah, okay. So, okay, then I go draft that, mm-hmm. right? Or um, some of the interviews I, I did that I featured in the, in the book as girls' stories, um, some of them brought up things as well. And I thought, okay, mm-hmm. now I want to expand on that. So it was, it was kind of this organic process, whereas I definitely had some topics I knew I wanted to address and some that, that just emerged Um based on feedback I was getting along the way. And I guess I really think that parents often, and maybe this is true of educators, although I would guess less true 
but I would say parents maybe don't always give kids enough credit in terms of kind of how much they're figuring out, what questions mm. they have, what they're thinking, what they can handle. Um, and I think it's, you know, our inclination as parents to want to keep our kids young, like it's hard to watch them in some ways grow up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, my default as a scholar, as a parent is, is almost to provide too much information because I'd rather be like, so here's everything you would need to yeah. know. <laughs> and what I hope is an age appropriate way, mm-hmm. um, but I think, you know, what I don't want is for young people to go dishing around online looking for information about eating disorders yeah. um, because there's a lot of bad information and you can end up down these rabbit holes of, you know, uh, glamorizing eating disorders on some web pages or, yeah. you know, so if we can get them some of the information, the good information, the evidence-based stuff before they start looking in the wrong places. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. important. Yeah, I think that's so important too. Um, kind of like how you were speaking on how, like, the physical growth of your your children amazed you. I love like cognitive growth. Like, I'm all about like cognitive yeah. development. Like, I love it. So the difference between like a six year old and a nine year old just like blows my mind. And I think when we're talking with kids, because uh, I've like had very intense conversations with kids and what's happening in in their lives. I think we can forget that they're still very like cognitively incomplete and they don't have the like cognitive development of intense critical thinking and problem solving. It's like a whole section in the school's evaluations, right? Like, are you a four? Are you a three? Um, And yeah, I think having a book as complete as this one is, um, that is like scientifically based and um, well-written and flows nicely is so important to, to upload this information to children that don't have the skills yet to be like, Oh, well, you know, that doesn't make much sense. If they see it on the internet. Um, like I, I was teaching this, this one girl and she came up with like a fact. I was like, where did you hear that? She's like the internet. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> oh, the, the problem solving hasn't come on online yet type thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It's tough because we all get information online, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so easy. And, and, and as you say, I think younger kids don't know how to parse out what's maybe just illogical or not factual or, you know, we're not brought up maybe as much as we need to be always to ask the questions of like, well, who said that? Why did they say that? Are we sure that's right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we move more towards like um, eating habits of, of like how to install like good eating habits to nurture the body body and like improve its functionality um, and self-talk. Cause I'm all about self-talk. Um, I often talk to the kids. I do like, um, if you can hear me, like clap your hands. If you can hear me, um, like say tree, that type of thing. But I always include like, if you can hear me say, I make mistakes, but I'm still worthy of love, for example. And just kind of like get them to um, like speak those words out. And it's pretty neat when you have 15 kids and they're all saying that like to themselves, but also to each other. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about makeup, <laughs> okay. uh, which sure. I, I love that you brought this up in, in the book. 
because, um, yeah, sometimes the girls come to the program and they're like, I have lip gloss and they hold it up and they're like the proudest I've ever seen them. Like they'll start a fire. No problem. Like, that's cool. But this like lip gloss is like, just like right of passage to them. Um, so how, yeah, let's just talk about makeup. How can we, we use it in an effective way for, um, for our children and we like to also um, just include boys in this as well, because um, some of the boys I teach also wear makeup. So just like in general, how can we use makeup in a skillful way? Because children are going to encounter it, they encounter it in all social media. Um, and we've kind of put it in this weird category along with like drinking and driving not like together, but like um, <laughs> the like rites of passage of like adulthood, right? They're like, oh, you can go to a club now. You can get your ID. That's like such like yeah. um, in that category. Yeah. Um, so like, how can we do that in a mindful way as like as parents? Yeah, I really um, kind of struggled with this when my daughter first became interested in makeup. And I actually did some research and I wrote a little article about it for psychology today. And I think the gist of it made it into the book then. Um, but it's one of the many things in parenting or working with kids in general, I think, where you have to be careful probably not to make too big a deal out of it. Mm -hmm. Because I think if we make too big a deal out of it, and by that, I mean, usually saying like, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> um, it just makes it so much more interesting to kids. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and most of it, you know, I mean, I think it's good to um, teach kids that they don't need anything to change their appearance, that they're beautiful the way they are, that people love them no matter what they look like. There are some really important kind of mantras about physical appearance that I think we are well advised to instill, right? But then beyond that, when it comes to some of the specifics, if your kid really wants lip gloss and she's 10 or he's 11, whatever, um, you know, you might just be fighting a losing battle. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you make it too big of a deal, no, no, you can't do that. I mean, kids are resourceful too. <laughs> so They are very resourceful, yeah. You know, I mean, and this comes up with when I talk to parents about clothes a lot and mm -hmm. um, not letting kids wear certain kinds of clothes. And, you know, kids go to school and change in the bathroom. Yep. You know, I hear it all the time. So it's like, well, you know, you should explain to kids why you don't want them to wear certain things. Um, and maybe it's because you feel like it's not practical or it's immodest or you're worried about how they'll be perceived by other people or, you know, there can be a variety of good reasons. Um, but then within certain parameters for all of this, I yeah. think it's, it's, it's best to kind of let it go um, because then it becomes really uninteresting. If you make it a big deal, it's like, you know, it just that holds all this value that you don't want it to hold. You're empowering it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, in terms of empowering, like we almost like as adults do some bad jobs, <laughs> um, especially around like swear words. We've yeah. made those words so like enticing and like if I could say as a swear word at the program, we just ignore it and they don't say it again because we're like, right. oh, well, you can't. We like enable that like um, 
yeah, rebellion through that word. And I guess that's right. the same thing with, with the makeup, if we can support and um, maybe like, yeah, just support and, and show that we're, we're there for them. Yeah. Um, I actually think that's a really cool analogy, you know, because like you said, you just, you take all the power out of like a swear word if you're like, whatever. Yeah. Just, just, just drain it. <laughs> right. Just. <laughs> um, yeah. So self-talk <laughs> we um i read a quote recently i forget the exact number but it was like saying the amount of like our internal monologue that we have and the number of thoughts that we have which are like in the thousands and thousands and the percentage of those being negative mm. um which i think was like above 80 uh, like 70 percent um which if you're in like thousands of negative self-talk or self like little points and criticisms can leave you pretty like just depleted at the end of the day. And this is happening day after day after day. Um, our mental health severely suffers. So um, yeah, if we can kind of touch on self-talk and then just healthy exercise habits. Um, yeah, that would be, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. In terms of self-talk, I think it sounds um, maybe like a, a little bit pop psychish to recommend, but I do recommend in the book because it is based on some research that, you know, we can encourage kids to make lists of things they like about themselves, mm -hmm. make it an activity. I think it can be done in an educational setting um, or parents can suggest it to kids or parents can help offer some of that to kids and have it not be appearance-based only. Um, you know, you're really smart. You're really clever. You were so funny when you said that earlier today. Um I so admire the way you've been able to just go with the flow during this pandemic, whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that kids need to hear some of that positive stuff. They need to be thinking about it. I think it's good for them to list it out themselves and, you know, in an educational setting, it's probably even possible to say, all right, think about your list. Think about your, why I'm amazing list. Mm -hmm. Right. And just sort of make it more normal for kids to think those things, because I don't think we do that very well as a culture that we, we just, you know, when kids talk about their appearance in particular, the conversation often turns to what we, we call body talk or fat talk, which is like, oh, I look so awful in these pants. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You know, and adults do this too. Um, we don't really always grow out of it. But but then if a, if a kid was to say like, I really love how this sweater looks on me, right? Other kids might be like, wow, okay, you're full of yourself because yeah. we haven't normalized that. We've normalized disparaging ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say. Um, yeah. If you, it seems like if you like yourself, you're arrogant. <laughs> you're very much like going against the flow. And even if it's not in an arrogant way, it's like, yeah, almost frowned upon to to be happy with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we can work on changing that for kids. I mean, and maybe it's more socially acceptable for them to not always vocalize it. But I think that. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm seeing this generation of kids be a little bit more responsive, even to some of that, that positivity once, 
you know, once someone else is like brave enough to say like, those pants look great on you. I love those pants. I love my pants too. All right. Let's not talk about pants. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, over, it's done. Like let's talk about the homework or, you know, let's mm-hmm. talk about what we're doing this weekend or, you know, so, so not belabor, especially appearance related talk, self-talk, other talk, whatever. But, um, but I do think we just haven't always been great at, at helping kids to, to know it's okay to think that they're great, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think like, it would be so powerful. Um, like we do a, a gratitude, um, we to say three things that we're grateful for before bed. Um, if we also like include, like name one thing that you love about yourself. Um, and then as it gets easier, say like two and three things that you love about yourself. But if we did that in the school system, mm-hmm. um, I think that would be, be so amazing because then you would have these kids opening up about the things that they like which then of course the teachers could then use to to help make like better programs and um if there is consistently a um a lack of i am happy or i love myself because of this that's being seen with every little kid then well maybe we can scaffold that area that's missing in their lives um Mm -hmm. to really to really help them become holistic and and full um, It'd be so cool to have kids also saying like, you know, something they're grateful for in general, something they like about themselves, something they like about someone else. So that we get good at like kind of yeah. complimenting each other and not just in appearance based ways, but, mm-hmm. you know, I was so impressed when you came up with that example today, or I was, you know, really, you did such a great job when we played whatever in gym class or, you know, I mean, I just think we're just not good at sort of being gracious and appreciating other people when we're young, especially it's just life feels like more competitive and we're less secure. And I do think a lot of adults get somewhat better at this, Um, (laughs) but not all, Um, not all, but, but still it would be, you know, the world would be a better place if people just felt sort of secure enough with themselves that they could also then extend some of that appreciation to others and, and sort of a, just sort of normalized regular way i think like i love how you always do this or yeah we have um this exercise that always always like causes some silence amongst the kids and we get all the kids we break them up into usually three teams it's a fort billing contest so they have an hour to make the coolest fort that they can it's usually try to make it waterproof and then we gather up as a group and then we go to each fort and then we get the kids to say why this one wins and theirs doesn't. And so it's just like these like, oh, well, I really like how you put the like the white pine needles on. Or I really like how you tied that. And it's just and it's like it's such a good feeling. But the first time we did that, the kids were like, like, what? <laughs> like, what do we do? And they like didn't understand me, like, well, I want to win though. You're like, well, you win by doing this, like by complimenting and seeing the value in someone else's work. And I think yeah. we're so much like an individualistic competitive culture that I think yeah. we need to make some inroads um, in simple ways to, to help bridge that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is where social media could play a positive role though, too, because, yeah. you know, kids are kind of communicating with each other more often probably than 
you know, we ever did before growing up. So used well, I think that that could be a positive. Yeah. I think, um, like my sub kids are talking to their friends more than they did without the pandemic because <laughs> they're just like, they found so many different ways of connecting. And I think it's really building like stronger friendships. And um, I think a lot of like positive stuff has come out of this um, situation that we're in. Um, yeah. Let's, let's go with um, one more topic. Cause I, um, I don't want to hold you too, too much long. I really appreciate you talking to me today. Um, so food yeah <laughs> food is food oh dear <laughs> um there's nothing food. nothing more humbling than trying to feed kids yes yeah it's really um <laughs> i think I, I hold that as an absolute truth and i thought because i had started studying food and children's eating for so long before i had my own kids that i would have it kind of sorted out when i had my own kids and then mm-hmm. you know they had their own developmental issues and health issues and it was a disaster still so <laughs> i take that as 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 further evidence of just how tricky this can be um i think similar to some of the other topics we've discussed Sometimes making it too big of a deal creates a problem unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. So we want to really offer kids relatively nutritious foods and give them a fair amount of freedom and really try to encourage them to be intuitive eaters and in touch with mm-hmm. when they're hungry, when they're not hungry, not force them to eat. Um, yes, this means sometimes they're going to eat at four o'clock right before we offer them dinner Yes, that's really annoying if you're a parent and they've just had a snack and you're literally mm-hmm. starting dinner um, and then they don't eat your dinner yeah. um, and then they <laughs> want dinner at eight. Yeah. yeah. I'll, yes, I'll have, a, have this little snack before dinner. It's like this full meal. Like, oh, yes. Um, I have done this so many times and it still annoys me and I still let it happen because I think at the end of the day, it's more important. And, and this is based on research, not just my experience um, for kids to just feel like they have control over what they're eating within certain parameters. So yes. again, as parents or in a school setting, whatever kind of setting where the grownups are in charge, mm-hmm. there should be some parameters, right? So like we, you don't have fast food, just like showing up at the front door for all the meals or something that would not be, um, that wouldn't be a good way to nourish our kids. Um, and, and it, and I'm not saying you never have cookies or you never have ice cream or any of that either. Like you Mm -hmm. have some of that. And the thing is when you don't make that forbidden fruit, it's just not as big of a deal. Yeah. Um, you know, I hear kids all the time say like, ah, I could have some ice cream, but I just don't really feel like it right now. Yeah. Instead of like, Ooh, right. <laughs> this right. is my chance to have ice cream. I don't know what I'm going to get next. Right. Um, and I think many of us grow up, many of us adults have grown up with less freedom and that has then made, you know, oh, I really want ice cream. And if we're yeah. not having it or, you know, whatever, imagine your favorite food. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's presumably not particularly nutritious. Um, and then when we're not having it, it 
feels like we have to be disciplined about it. It doesn't feel like a complete choice. Mm-hmm. And in a perfect world, the next generation of kids could grow up thinking like, oh, well, I mean, I can get ice cream when I want it. And it'd feel better if I ate a salad right now. I know yeah. it sounds really idealistic, um, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible for kids to make choices that are healthy. Again, if they've had exposure to healthy foods, if they've been given some freedom, um, but it's hard. It is really hard to feed kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It, yes, it is. We had like, um, like dinner time was a struggle. We, we didn't really look forward to it with zeal in any particular way. Um, and so what we were found finding, and my partner found this blog post about like going back to the old style where the kids feed themselves. And so I was thinking about it. And one of the, like the basic needs I think for kids along with like food and shelter is like power. It's a sense mm-hmm. of like ownership mm-hmm. because if you go through a kid's day, they really get very little choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at dinner, it's like a nice time to be like, no, I don't, I don't want this, or I'm not going to eat this proportion that you gave me. Um, and so we would make dinner and then we would like scoop out the proportions that we thought would be healthy for them and what they, what they might need. And then it would be like, well, that's too much. And there'd be whole conversations and energy directed towards like, well, I don't want to eat like, okay, we'll have three and then you're going to be done. It's like all these things. And so the, it was just like, just put them on platters, put them on the table, give the child an empty plate and don't talk about the food. Just yeah. start talking about like the day and, and, um, and looking at plans for the night. And so we, we did that. And like within the first time, it was like this drastic change. They, they sat down and they start like, they didn't give themselves a lot of food, but there was no arguments about it. There was no, um, there was no like discussions or plea bargains happening about them. And they ate all the food that was on their plate because maybe they only want like six peas and not like 40. And that was giving them power. It was giving them ownership over the food that they were eating. Um, so yeah, it's, it's such a, it's a, such a tricky topic. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I recently had actually a, a former student of mine. So she was probably an undergraduate and she did research with me. So I knew her very well, you know, a decade ago now. And we've actually been in touch on social media. There's another benefit, you know, you yeah. keep, keep track of people you want to keep track of. Um, and she sent me a message and she was like, oh, you know, I have these three kids now and dinner is a nightmare. Like everyone wants something different and it's a struggle we're negotiating and it's like we just dread it and i suggested very much what you know you came up with is like just put food on the table and it's okay to have like a safe food you know they're going to eat like some rolls mm-hmm. like if yeah. a kid ends up just eating bread for one dinner they're not going to starve no, like I, five. <laughs> I get that like that's not ideal that's not maybe we would really want but fine, like have like some safe food, like you got your rolls, you have a couple of vegetables, you have some source of protein, whatever it is. And then just like you said, just kind of try to back off. And, and researchers who study this refer to this as a division of responsibility. That's really important, as you say, in empowering kids, like the parents provide the food and then the kids have, have some say after the provision is there, you know, after the, mm-hmm. the food's on the table and the different bowls. 
see what happens. And yeah. And it just makes everyone a lot happier typically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at, least, at least in my experience, that's for sure. And and also we don't want food to become a bad thing. There's so much guilt um in North America over food. And you know, we do guilt about food better than almost anywhere else in the world, I think. And um, we've perfected the art of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, food should be enjoyed. And yet for so many people, it's just a source of stress. And that's, I think, really a gift we can give to our kids if they don't feel that food is stressful and they really get that, like, it's, it's nourishing. It's, it's important. It's how we take care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, the whole thing with dessert as well. Like we reward ourselves with food that's like not good because we force ourselves to eat like a quote good meal um, <laughs> where um, on this post, it was saying like, don't have dessert time to incorporate that into the meal. Mm-hmm. And when we did that, we like the kids like took very little dessert because it wasn't like a reward. It wasn't like, Oh, it's dessert time. It was like, okay, this is a part of dinner. And we were like, it worked. Holy. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's getting this, this thing of like, cause we use food as reward. Yeah. Um, like if you we shouldn't, do, but we do. <laughs> exactly. If you go out to a soccer game and you do well, you get like, um, I don't know, McDonald's or Dairy Queen or um, like we, if you do well, you get like a cake and, and all, um, all these rewards where it's just setting up these unhealthy habits. Um, yeah. Yeah. For, for these kids to have to like work through later in life. Um, I mean, so it's definitely okay. a tricky topic. Yeah, it's super tough. It's super tricky. It, it, it's okay to, I think, sometimes think of food as a treat or something special. Um, it's okay to elevate food. You know, it's part of celebrations. It is like we can't get away from that. Um, but I think that we don't want to overly empower it and make it a bigger deal than it it has to be in some ways. I mean, it, I, I appreciate, of course, it is what sustains us. So I'm not saying it's important, but. Um, but making it more important emotionally than it should be. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, I hear the same thing from parents all the time that if you just kind of consistently offer dessert, whether it be part of dinner or the kids just know that that's where the cookies are and you can get them later on, kids don't mm-hmm. care as much. Like they don't take them necessarily. Yeah. Very true. Very so. true. It's really just kind of counterintuitive, but, and it's scary because sometimes kids at first, if you're making a shift, right? Mm -hmm. So if you were a household and your kids are, you know, now a little bit older and you were a household that really controlled those things and you make a shift to like, oh, guess what? Now you can eat whatever you want. Like there will be some overeating initially. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, I mean, that will freak parents out, but it won't last. Mm -hmm. At least it's very unlikely to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very true. Um, well, thank you so, so very much for talking to me today. Um, yeah, of course. Where, if um, any listeners have any thoughts or comments and wanting to reach you, where can you, where can you be reached and where can we get your fantastic book? <laughs> so if you go to the body image book for girls.com, um, mm-hmm. there's a contact form there. So that'll send me an email. Um, and you also, there's places to order the book and there's just more general information um, there as well. So that's probably the best place to go. 